Hey everybody, Dan's back with another episode of Sales is King, and we have got a special episode for you right now. An interview with one of the top five sales consultants in the world, Jerry Acuff. We had a chance to talk to him recently. He is a phenomenal guy, an exceptional talent in sales. He's been at it a long time. He's written a number of best-selling books, including The Relationship Edge, including Stop Acting Like a Seller and Start Thinking Like a Buyer, and The Relationship Edge in Business. Jerry also just launched a new virtual training, which he talks about. And we talk about some of the really, really tough-to-solve sales issues today. We talk about how sales has changed even in the last few years. And we talk about what you need to know in sales today to be a top performer. So without any further ado, or maybe a little ado, let's uh, remind you from a housekeeping uh, perspective to remember to... Leave me any comments or any suggestions um, about future episodes or any topics you want me to cover. Also, remember to subscribe and like and review so we can move up the rankings. Also, remember to forward this or mention us to any of your friends or colleagues. So, without any further ado, Mr. Jerry Acuff and I and our interview on Sales is King. Well, I had... um. You know, I prepared a few questions sure. we can go through. Um, I'm recording this for the podcast sure. and for YouTube. And then I definitely want to get into your new solution sure. uh, on um, the VT Lightspeed Network. Yeah. It's great. And I first heard about it on that podcast with Brad Lee. So I guess the first question I definitely want to ask you is how has sales changed over the course of time from when you first began? What are the top kind of one or two changes? In, in the well, I think technology has changed, you know, probably has, it has changed sales as much as anything because there's so much that can be done both positively and negatively. I mean, for example, you know, in my business that, you know, LinkedIn is a huge tool. So if I'm going to go meet with somebody, I can check them on LinkedIn. I can check that, check them out on Facebook. I can Google them. You know, I can learn something about them before I go there. And before, you know, you had a phone book. <laughs> you, know, you knocked on somebody's door and, and that's sort of what happened. I think technology is one thing. I also think that, you know, there's, there's so many mergers and, and uh, consolidations that it's, it's harder and harder to, to find individuals that actually make decisions, particularly in big companies. You, yeah. you know, you're doing a, almost everything. And if you're dealing with big companies in sales, almost everything is fundamentally key account management because you're having to manage a lot of stakeholders. And so that makes the sale longer, that makes it harder, it makes it less predictable. Um, yeah. but, you know, but the truth is, when you get in front of the customer, you know, I don't think much has changed. You know, there's three things I always say that if you're gonna be great at sales, you better be really good at. Number one, and this has been true since I've been in sales, you better get them to wanna to listen to what you have to say. Because if they don't listen, nothing else matters. Right. And there's only two reasons people listen to you. You know, one, they listen to you because you have a relationship with them. Yeah. And if you have a relationship with them, they'll listen to whatever you have to say. Right. Uh, if you don't have a relationship, you better say something that interests them. And the truth is, in our experience, most people are pretty boring. And what we teach people is how do you use mystery, surprise, and curiosity, which we just airlift out of um, Chip and Dan Heath's book, 
you know, made to stick. And we teach people, how do you say things that gets that person to not only give you physical access, but mental access. And so, but if I get you to listen, that's just, you know, that's just the first step. The second step is somehow or another, if I'm trying to get you to act differently, I got to get you to think differently. Right. Right. And so that means I need to have a lot of knowledge so that I can ask great questions. Uh, and I probably need to demonstrate that I'm not biased. Uh, and I need to certainly demonstrate that I understand, you know, the customer. Uh, but that has changed. I mean, you know, the, the truth is that's been the same forever. Sure. I had a customer say to me one time, and I made the call, and the rep told me before we went in to see the, the customer that you'll never sell this guy. <laughs> I always start with the premise that I'm not trying to sell anybody. I tell people, you know, my job is to find out whether our product is a fit mm-hmm. for what they're looking for. If it's a fit, they'll buy. If it's not a fit, they won't buy it, nor should they. So I asked this customer some questions, and at the end of the thing, I said, look, well, based on what you've told me, the next time the rep comes in, his name was D. I said, the next time D comes in, I'll have him tell you why you ought to be thinking about our product a little more often. And he said, no, I want you to tell me. And I said, no, I promised you when I came in that I wouldn't sell you anything. So I'm, I'm going to be a person of my word. Uh, but D will tell you next time he comes in. He says, no, 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 I want you're not leaving here until you tell me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can take this guy, right? Right. Uh, he ain't that big. Yeah. And uh, so I remember saying to him, do you mind if I argue with you? <laughs> and he said, no. And I said, well, you said this was important. And I don't think that's important at all. He said, well, how can you say that? And I said, I'll tell you exactly how I say it. So I said, look, what you want when you start making this decision is you want the option that has the greatest likelihood for success every single time. Right. What you're using doesn't give you the greatest likelihood for success. Now, to be candid with you, the difference between our solution and their solution is not huge. It's small. But if your objective is to have the greatest likelihood for success every time you actually, you know, make a decision, what you're using is not it. So he picked up the phone and, and he actually gave me an order right then and there. And he, and he hung up the, the phone. Of course, the sales rep, I'm sure, is dying, right? And so, the, <laughs> so then he looks at me and he says this, and this was the most powerful thing a customer's ever said to me in person. He said, you got a great rep here. He said, but you know something? He said, he ain't never made me think. Mm. And I thought, my gosh, he just defined for me what great salespeople do. Now, mm-hmm. the challenge that I've learned is that most people, most people don't change their mind. And so the way you get them to think differently is you get them to see that this is a new decision based on new information. Right, right. And so, but that requires very skillful use of words. So, I got to get you to listen. I got to get you to think. The last thing I got to get you to act. I don't think that's changed in selling in since, you know, um, who's the guy that wrote the, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer wrote the book about uh, the guy who wrote the, the very first sales training program for national cash register that all that you can read all, all the Patterson principles, mm-hmm. you read the Patterson principles and it's, it's probably 91% of everything you and I would teach anybody today. Definitely. And it's so valuable what you're saying, because the other the, one of the main differences um, from years ago is now how overloaded everybody is with information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're inundated. Yeah. And so if you don't find a way to cut through that noise. Yeah. I, mean, I, I tell people because 
it's just it's just noise. It's emails. It's phone calls. It's they're just yeah. hit you into a delete box. Yeah, oh, so. I tell people a lot of times when I'm when I'm doing this, you know, for a living, I'll I'll say to people, I said, look, most people walk in and say, how was your weekend? Or they'll say, how's it going? Or how's the product going? I said, I just sit back and say to yourself, how scintillating is that conversation? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's stupid. I said, now I walk in and say, you know what? Last weekend, I went to the Alabama State Fair down in Birmingham, and I was standing in the corn dog line, and all I could think of is you. I said, there's not a person in the world who won't ask you a question. Now, what we try and teach our clients is that if you want to get mental access, you, you create an opening where they have to ask you a question. If they have to ask you a question, so they'll say in that case, what the hell were you thinking in the corn dog line? Or they'll say, what the hell were you fat ass doing in the corn dog line? <laughs> Exactly. But then, and then I'll say, well, look, I'm sitting there at this, you know, in the corn dog line and I'm saying it's unbelievable to me, the number of people who have kids who obviously have ADHD. And so I could talk about ADHD. I could talk about obesity. I could talk about clothing. I could talk about eating habits. I could turn that opening that'll get me interest into something that will launch me into the conversation I want to have. What we try and get people to understand is that what you really want in a perfect world, particularly if you're doing what I call complex sales. And to me, a complex sale is anything over a hundred bucks, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. And I don't know what the definition of a complex sale is, but it's something where somebody's got to really make a decision about this is something that they're going to do differently. Mm -hmm. To me, if, if you're going to do that, then you have to make sure that you want a conversation and not a sales call. Yeah. I don't want the customer to ever feel like it's a sales call. Now, I don't mind saying, look, I'm here, you know, to see if we can help you or not. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that I hope we can. But if we can't, I'll be the first one to tell you. I, tell you, I, I, did, I did one yesterday, uh, you know, I, I just one of my clients called me and asked me to do a webinar. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So they had hired me to do a webinar and they wanted to pay me, I forget what the number was, I think it was 5,000 bucks to do an hour webinar. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, and I had, but I had to do, you know, write much discovery in order to, to create the thing. So I had to call a half a dozen people, I had to run it by them, etc. So then, so the same guy calls me two weeks later, I love the content. And he said, I need you to do it two more times. He said, it's $5,000. Is that okay if you do it, you know, two more times each time, $5,000? I said, no, that's not okay. He said, why? I said, because it's too much money. <laughs> and I said, the, the reason it was 5000 the first time is because I had to create all that content. You're asking me to do the same thing two more times. It's half the price. Right, right. It's just your time. He said, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And so I always try and get people to understand, number one, be yourself. Number two, do the right thing. I mean, I had a guy call me one time and say, I want you to do a, a program on clinical reprint selling. Hmm. So why would you choose me? Right. He said, well, I was in a foxhole with this guy, and he said, if you ever need somebody on sales training of any kind, you have to call Jerry Acuff. <laughs> so I asked the guy, I said, do you have any idea what I charge? He said, no. And I said, where's your meeting? He said, well, it was in Phoenix. And I lived in Phoenix at the time. 
and I still do, but I, I just, you know, I, I have two homes. But anyway, I said, I said, I'm going to charge you $20,000 to do this. And he said, I don't care. He said, Drew said I had to hire you, and I don't care what it costs, I'm hiring you. I said, listen, man, I got a better idea. He said, well, what is it? I said, I'll get somebody to do it for 5000 bucks, and I promise you they'll be better than me. <laughs> you, you don't want to do it? I said, well, look, it's not wanting to do it. I'm not the best guy to do it. Yeah. Now, if you're dying to write me a check for twenty grand, I'll show up and I'll do a fine job. But it's not the right thing for you. Yeah. So I always try and get people to say, the second chapter in my book, Stop Acting Like a Seller, Start Thinking Like a Buyer, is, is intent is everything. Mm-hmm. But what is my intent when I'm making a call? My intent is to find out whether there's a fit between my product or service and what they're doing. And if there's a fit, then we'll pursue it. If there's not a fit, we won't pursue it. I had two business development calls yesterday, two, you know, CEOs of companies. One had 500 employees and, mm-hmm. and one has uh, probably the same number. And it, in one of them, at the end of the hour and a half, I told the guy, I said, look, I don't think I can help you very much. I said, you have 20, you know, telesales people. If you'll send, and, I, and he's a, a friend of a friend. I said, if you'll send me their script, I'll edit the script for you for nothing. But fundamentally, I don't think I can do anything beyond that that would really help you. I said, now I'll share my virtual training with you. And if you want and you think that people might you know, benefit from some of the repetition in the, in the virtual training and if it, and it seems to be consistent with what you're doing, then that might make some sense. But candidly, I can't help you. Now, the second guy, he had two products. And I told him at the end, I said, look, you got one product here we can't help you with. Mm-hmm. But you got one product here that I think we can help you, and here's how I'll help you. So I always start with my intent is to find out where am I a fit. And right. if I'm a fit, then I want to make sure that they understand why I think I'm a fit and then hopefully get a shot at the business. If I'm not a fit, I don't care. Yeah, and that comes back to um, something that we've been hearing a lot about in selling, not only in selling but in business days, just authenticity. Yeah. Hearing that that's so important to yeah, it is. trust and to, and to, you know, get the customer or prospect to really trust you and yeah. you to come across and be yourself. The other thing you, you hit on, which I'd like to go into a little more depth with you is, you know, in selling today, there are um, many different decision makers. Um, it's not as easy as it used to be. So there's a lot being spoken about building consensus and right. the buyer. How do you do it? What do you recommend when you've got these, you know, five, six, seven people that have to sign off before they could uh, move forward. Well, you know, I've written three best-selling books on relationship building. So, you know, what I always try and do is to say to myself, how can I build a relationship with a client? And I always try and start building the relationship with somebody in the company before I go there. So the easiest way to do that is the thing we call pyramid hopping, which is, you know, uh, who do you know that I need to know? So if I'm going into a client, then the first thing I'm going to do is go to LinkedIn and see, is there anybody from, from that company that I'm actually connected to? And if I am, then I'm going to try and, and, and get them to help me understand the politics, the dynamics, and the decision-making in that company before I ever go. Right. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to build relationships with the, uh, with the support personnel. Because if you build relationships with the, with the receptionist and you build a relationship with the administrative assistants, he or she can tell you who the decision makers are in that room. And so I, I try and build relationships with people. The other thing is I flat out ask people, you know, help me understand 
your decision-making process and who are the people that you think are most likely to be influential. <clears throat> One of the things I have in my virtual training program is a, a whole thing about how do you actually implement this stuff, right? So how do you actually uh, you know, handle objections. Well, one of the objections is, well, I need to talk to my boss. Right. And so if you haven't identified the decision maker beforehand, you're, that's probably what you're going to hear. Well, I got to talk to somebody else, et cetera. Right. And so, so then the next question for you is, is this person going to advocate on your behalf? Right. Are they simply going to, is that a smoke screen or are they going to go in with a neutral? So you just have to know what questions to ask. But the easiest way is to try and go in with a relationship. If you don't have one, then try and figure out you know, who, who you have in that meeting that is relationship building. But the best thing to do is to simply ask, you know, how, what is the decision-making process? The other question I ask people, I always tell people, in my business, which is consulting, mm -hmm. I tell almost everybody that I meet with, I make the assumption going in, you have no interest in doing business with an outside vendor. In a perfect world, you'd rather do this yourself. Right. And they go, yep. And I'll say, well then, why did you call me? Right. Right. And then they'll say, well, we called you because we can't get it done. And I say, well, tell me what you've done. So I go through this exhaustive, and it's not exhaustive, but it's usually six, seven, eight questions that I ask before I ever tell anybody anything about our company. And so part of that questioning is, what is the decision-making process? Is this something that's important for you to do? Is it urgent for you to do? What are the negative economic consequences of not doing this? Right. I had a guy one time who I used as a – a business consultant. He was a wonderful guy named Jeffrey Mayer. He had a, a business in Chicago called SucceedingInBusiness.com. And I, I used to read his his uh, his newsletters to him, and he always hurt my feelings. Because every time I'd read one, I'd say, dang, I am not worth a darn at that. And so he had a thing on one of them at the bottom. It said, call me about some individual consulting. So I called a guy on the phone. Name was Jeffrey Mayer, and, and he says to me, okay, what are you trying to do? I said, well, my business is at a million. I'm trying to go to two million. Well, what would your margins be if you went to two million? And it was substantial, right? So he said, okay, well, let me tell you how this works. He said, uh, for $10,000, I'll talk to you on the phone eight times. And, I, of course, I'm choking, right? <laughs> and, and so he said, but look, you told me that if you went from a million to two million, how much money you'd make? Surely 10000 bucks not a lot of money. And then he said this, he said, look, here's the truth. The truth is, if you tell me in the last 30 seconds of the last call that this was not worth your time, I'll give your money back, 100%. Mm -hmm. The very first call I made with him, I'll never forget, it was in the Tampa airport. It was a payphone. This is, you know, 15, it was probably 15 years ago. And, um, and I remember when we hung up, I said this to him. I said, Jeffrey, if I never speak to you again, we've had one call. If I never speak to you again, I will not ask for my money back. This call is way worth more than $10,000. What he taught me in that call is how do you make sure that you're asking questions so that the customer understands the negative implications and especially cost implications of not doing business with you? So I'll go in and ask people, tell me what your forecast is. Tell me what happens if you don't meet this forecast. Who are the people that are going to suffer if you don't make this forecast? And once you do that, fundamentally, the reason people hire consultants like me, whether it's strategy or whether it's, you know, sales or marketing, and ours, ours is sales and marketing excellence. The reason they hire you is for insurance against them screwing it up. Right. So once you get them to understand that you actually are a pretty good insurance, then, you know, 
then they'll buy you. Premiums paid every quarter yeah. or whatever. But, but the way you build consensus is you have to find out what the decision-making process. When I teach people about interviewing, right, mm -hmm. I tell people if you're interviewing for a job, the very first question you have to ask, the first question, when the person says to you, uh, what questions do you have? In the first place, I ask people, what is the first question? Nobody knows the answer. I said, here's the first question. Tell me about your selection process. Hmm. If I don't know what your selection process is in an interview, I don't know what to ask for at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you say, well, it's the first interview and then it's a, another more in-depth interview and then you got to go with a team of people, at least I know what to ask for. Well, this is no different. If I don't know what your selection process is, which I'm going to ask in the upfront part of my discussion with any client, um, then you know, like yesterday, I asked the guy, tell me about your selection process. If you decide to do business with a consultant like me, how do you order in there? This is the CEO. He said, well, <clears throat> the next thing would be a meeting with my general managers. Well, once he said that, I knew the rest of our conversation had to lead me to a close, which was, when can I meet with your general managers? Right. And that's where I ended up. Right. To me, the close is the natural end to this conversation. Right. Sometimes that's asking for the business. Sometimes that's asking for the next step. But in these situations where you have to build consensus, the key is to identify the selection process, the decision-making process as early as you can. Yeah, no question. And I heard you say on another podcast, you know, when you're with that initial stakeholder, you know, that you want to get confirmation from him that he's going to support you yes. um, in, in the process from here. Because if he's not, it's game over, right? Exactly. And following him for the next three years, sending emails that are going to be unreturned. So you kind of, kind of state, "Hey, do I have your support?" Right. Going through the rest of the process, which I yeah. think is great, right? Now, you know, Brad, Brad Lee, who's one of my heroes and a, and a and dear friend. You know, Brad teaches people a, a very simple philosophy, which I love. He just says, "Look, on a scale of one to ten, you know, one man you ain't interested at all. Ten man, you're fairly ready to give me all your support when you go talk to your boss. Where are you?" Yeah, that's good. And and if they say seven or eight, then then you know, okay, you got some room to, right. to try to identify. How do you move them to a ten? Exactly. If they say ten, then you say, okay, then I'm going to make the assumption that means that I have your full support. So that when you go, you'll actually be representing that this is exactly what you want to do. But I always tell people, Scott Moldenhauer, who's a good friend of mine, he's a great sales consultant uh, in, in, in Orlando, Florida. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. Um, he always says one of the things that you need to do, and I, and I love this, is to simply ask for candor. Say, so look, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Just tell me whatever you're really thinking. Just tell me. I love that. Yeah, I always tell people, you know, in our business, we talk about this concept of meaningful dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, without meaningful dialogue, there's no selling. Well, what is meaningful dialogue? Meaningful dialogue is an adult discussion of the truth. Honest, yeah. Just yeah. honesty. The truth is that the studies show, and I don't know, you know, who did the studies, but, you know, I quote them all the time. Only The customer only reveals about 20% of what they're thinking. Right. And so our objective is to use words and language that get them to want to tell us more. The most powerful thing I've learned, Dan, in, and I hate to admit how many years I've been doing this, but it has a four in front of it, <laughs> over 40 years. And uh, okay. it was about two years ago, I was speaking to a thousand people the next day on questioning. How do you, we have this architecture for how you create a great question. So we were teaching a thousand people how to ask great questions. And I think I had eight or nine of my team there. And the night before I was looking for something 
that would connect the concept of understanding with asking a question because my fundamental premise has always been the only reason you ask a question is to seek understanding. Right. So I Google this, right? And I cannot find anything that connects questioning with understanding. So I'm on like the eighth Google page and I read this technology newsletter and this guy said something that was so profound it was ridiculous. He said this. He said, the goal of effective communication is not persuasion. It's understanding. Now, he went on to say, he said, if you're trying to exchange information with another person, he said, two things probably have to be true. Now, I have found this to be unequivocally true, but I'll go with this probably. Mm -hmm. He said, number one, the person you're talking to has to believe that you're not biased. But then, so when I'm talking to salespeople, I'm saying, so ask yourself this question. What percentage of the customers that you called on in the last month when you left would say, she ain't biased? Mm -hmm. Is that number big or small? Yeah. That number small. Now you wonder why they're not buying from you because they think you're biased. Now, the second thing is they have to believe that you truly understand them. And I said, now ask yourself this question. What percentage of the people that you're calling on do you think truly understand you? And I said, so to me, my whole world has been driven by getting people to understand, make sure people don't think you're biased. Now, how do you make sure people don't think you're biased? That's very simple. Our product is not for everybody. That should be your opening line in every call you make. Our product or service is not for everybody. And then I go on to say, that's not the question. The question is, does it make sense for you? And that's what I want to try and determine today. Now, once you say it's not for everybody, you actually sound like a normal human being. Because the truth is, in the pharmaceutical business, the number one product in the world only has a 38 share. That means 62% of the people are getting something else. That also means that you could say, if you, if you work for that company, the majority of people should not be on our product. Mm -hmm. And you have a hell of a lot more credibility than coming in and talking about how great your product is. Right, exactly. And then the second thing is we usually stop, I think, most salespeople stop short of true understanding because they're so anxious to get to telling the story. They're so anxious at trying to make the customer see the solution when they ought to say things like, can you elaborate on that? Can you say more about that? How did you come to that conclusion? Who's the person that most influenced you towards thinking that way? Um, can I ask you to look at it a different way? Can I argue with you? I mean, things that really get the person to talk about what they really, really think. Um, and I always used to tell my customers, and I tell them all, I don't care if you buy or not. I just don't care. I care that I'm good at my job. And if I'm good at my job and you have a need, you will buy. If you don't have a need, you shouldn't buy. Right. Yeah, that's about as authentic as you can be, right? And it's true. Now, you know, it's made me in my company millions of dollars by simply being authentic. My virtual training program is about how do you sell by being your authentic self, which includes being shy or introverted, which is me. I quit my first sales job in 1974 because I couldn't get out of the car and call on customers. And I said, this ain't for me. And then I, I learned this definition of selling from a guy named Fred Herman. And after I got back into selling, because I, I, I got rejected from graduate school at a school that you should not get rejected from graduate school. From. 
<clears throat> and so I wanted to be a college coach and I wound up saying, well, I don't have, I have no way to make a living because I did lousy in college. And so I get a sales job. And so I got a sales job, not wanting to be in sales, but didn't, I was qualified to do nothing else. And so I got a job in the pharmaceutical business and I started listening to these tapes. And Fred Herman said that he had two definitions of selling. Now, this is the first chapter in my book. It's the first chapter in my virtual training. He said, and I've not been able to improve upon his definition. He said, selling is teaching. In every successful sale, some education takes place. The customer learns something they didn't know before. He said, now, most people don't want to be lectured to by a salesperson. So the way you teach in a selling situation is you do exactly what your best teachers did. You make it fun. You make it interactive. You ask questions. You seek to understand. And the second thing is that selling is finding out what people want and helping them get it. He said, now, there's two things about that that are important. One, and this one is huge, most people don't know what they want. Mm. but they think they do. Right. And the job of the salesperson in that second phase, which is getting them to listen, is to get them to realize that maybe what they thought they wanted is not what they want. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then the last thing he said is if what the customer wants, we don't have, we have no right to sell them what we do have. And so from that day forward, I said, introvert or not, shy or not, I can do that. I can do it. And so I tell anybody, you don't have to be pushy and aggressive to be great at selling. In fact, most of the people that I've met that make seven figures selling are introverts. Now, but the problem with introverts is introverts think that you have to be gregarious and outgoing and, and you know, for lack of a better term, have the gift of gab to be a great salesperson. That's 100% untrue. The best salespeople are people who are really good listeners, who focus on the other person, who ask great questions. That's an introvert. So the selling is plays naturally to introverts who don't mind being a problem solver. Mm -hmm. So my virtual training teaches people all the things that I've learned about how do you actually go out and create selling excellence by simply thinking like a customer and being yourself. No, I love it. Um, so here's one that I come across a lot that I'd love to get your take on. Um, you know, meeting with a potential buyer, he has interest, but unfortunately it's not at the top of his priority list. Right. He's got, you know, two or three other things that are ahead of this. So we're going to have to circle back another time. How do we work with customers to get them to raise your solution up the priority list so that you can get a sale now versus maybe much later? Yeah, and that's that, that ain't easy to do. You know, no. and I don't know if anybody's got any great answers about that. I'd be interested in those myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I look at it several ways. The first thing I say to myself is I always want to have a product or service where I can get a customer easily. Because once I have a customer, once you actually are doing business with me, that is the, uh, the, the green light for me to build a relationship with you. And the closer I can get that relationship, the more likely you will be honest and, and candid with me about what your real issues are. And I probably can move some of those things up the pyramid by making you think about it differently, but I'm probably not gonna do that until I have a relationship. So for example, <clears throat> one of the things that we, that we do, we have, uh, I'm a, very minor owner in a book service, a book summary service called Read It For Me, Read It For Me. And for $999, any company can buy a subscription for every one of their employees. 
So if you got 20,000 employees for $999, all 20,000 people can get this subscription. Wow. Now, I, I, I bought into the service because I've used every book summary service there is, and this one is the best there is. And, um, and I wound up meeting the CEO, et cetera. But then it occurred to me that this is a, this is a way for me to get clients for my consulting company that are consistent with what we do because we all talk about lifelong learning so that I can then begin to build a relationship with them. So in the Jerry Acuff VT, we have student pricing. So if you're a student and a lot of college students need to learn relationship building and goal setting, they don't get it in college and your parent pays, you know, 50, 60,000 a year for you to go to school and then wonders why you can't get a job. It's because you don't know how to set goals and you got no network. Right. Um, so we have a student pricing and we have the goal setting thing, which anybody can buy for like 49 bucks. And so what we try and do is number one is to find a product or service that I could get them to buy, even though they may not be buying the main thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing I do is I try and then build a relationship with them to see if I can't escalate it up the curve. The third thing I do though, is I always try and make sure that when they give me this, okay, this is like the third thing on my priority list. I want to have a series of questions so I can understand why are those other things more important and what are the negative economic consequences of doing these things? The other thing I want to try and figure out is if is some of these things that you're talking about that you're prioritizing above this thing that we're talking about might be urgent, but they may not be as important. Because what you fundamentally want to focus on is the things that are not only urgent, but the things that are important. Now, the last thing that we do is in a situation like that is that we will propose a small, inexpensive pilot. Mm -hmm. hey, look, you, if, you, if you're going to, now, so the other question I'd say is, look, are you just telling me this is a third priority because you want, want me to go away? Right. Or is this something that you really think you're going to get to? And if they say, no, 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 we're really going to get to it. I say, okay, then here's what I suggest you do. If you're really going to get to it, why don't we do a small, inexpensive pilot, and, or, and we could do a discovery phase where we could, just, we could interview 10 people, we could get some data, come back to you with some insights. I try and pitch them something that's hard for them to say no to. Yeah. Because oftentimes people are ready to buy a cookie, but they don't want the whole package. Mm-hmm. And so if I can just get you to buy the cookie and get you to be a client, if I can increase the likelihood that I'm having more interactions with you, I got a far better shot of being able to figure out how can I really help you. Absolutely. Rather than just going back on the bottom of the list and following up. Yeah. And every time you follow up, you find out, you know, and then somebody gets promoted or somebody gets fired right. and then that ain't no, it's not on anybody's list. Yeah. Great. So let's, I know we're starting to run out of time. I want to learn about the new uh, training course. Um, what's included in that, how people can find it, um, and where to go? Well, if they go to jerryacuff.com, J-E-R-R-Y-A-C-U-F-F.com, they get all the information they want. What I did was one of my marketing people said to me one time, he said, you know, you are the fifth best sales expert in the world. Um, you've been named one of the 50 greatest salespeople of all time, which is a joke. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I, mean, I put it on my website because somebody wrote it. Uh, Thank you. You know, and I mean, I, I, I take all those things with a grain of salt. You know, I always say, look, I'd probably be higher if my ex-wife didn't vote. And, uh, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, I know an awful lot about selling. I've read a lot of books on selling. I've written best-selling books. I, you know, we have trained tens of thousands of people. I've got testimonials at the wazoo of how many people have, been, have changed their life. My marketing guy says to me one time, you, you, you function in this very small industry, but your utility of your content is huge. You need to figure out a way to actually make that content available to more people. And so I, I searched 
for the right platform and and came across Brad's Lightspeed VT, which is absolutely the cat's pajamas. I mean, it is, it's an unbelievable platform. And so I just decided that I would put everything that I know about uh, how do you set and achieve stretch goals? Things like, how do you go from being a district manager to running a company in five years, which I did. How do you go from being fired when you're 51 years old to a seven figure income and a significant net worth? How do you do that? You do that by setting and achieving stretch goals. Mm -hmm. And so I have a section on stretch goals. I have a section on relationship building. How do you build a valuable business relationship? My bias is in life, you need two things. Number one, you need a network of people where your expertise, wisdom, craft, capability matters, and you need to be really good at your job. Without either, you're in trouble. If you have, if you're incredible at your job and have no network, you get, you don't have much. Yeah. If you've got a great network and you suck at your job, you got nothing. Right. So you got to be, you got to have both. Right. Most people, especially college students, do not build a valuable business network. And so we teach people, I've written three books on this, how do you build, leverage, and maintain a valuable business relationship? The primary focus is on three things. How do you build a relationship with people that you don't naturally connect with, which is about 75% of everybody you meet? And so, so many people you meet, you don't naturally connect with, but you have to, to be successful. Right. We teach you how to do that. We teach you how to maintain the relationship so that you don't lose influence. And we teach people, how do you actually leverage the relationship so that you get benefit out of their contacts and they get benefit out of your contacts. The third part of the program is called selling. Uh, how, you know, how do you achieve selling excellence by being authentic and customer focused? And it's everything I know about selling, including, you know, what are the, what are your, what are the beliefs that you have to have? What is selling intent is everything, how knowledge, messaging, relationship play, the five things that happen in a sales call, relationship building, all of that is built in. And then the last piece of it is how do you coach selling in the field in real time? One of the things that we discovered over the last couple of years is that there's a boatload of stuff on coaching but there's not a lot on how you coach a salesperson to get better at the eight or nine individual skills necessary to be great at selling. So we created this whole coaching selling platform, which we call Coaching Catalyst, and we have public seminars. We're doing one next week in, in Pennsylvania, but we also put that into this program. So if you buy the coaching program, you get everything. Okay. Because my assumption is you need goal setting. If you're going to be a coach, right, sure. you need the relationship building, and you need the selling. Sure. If you want the selling piece, you get selling, goal setting, and relationship building. And if you only want the relationship building, you get that and goal setting. So there's basically three different offerings. Well, there's actually four. You can get goal setting by itself. Mm -hmm. You can get goal setting and relationship building. That's offer two. Offer three is goal setting, relationship building, and selling. And then offer four is all of it. Fantastic. And so it's basically me as a person's life coach. And the thing that's beautiful is number one, if you like my content, you'll like it. If you think, if you think my content, if you don't want to invest the money, you know, buy my book, read the book and then say, that guy's an idiot. You ain't going to like my program. If you like the book, you'll love the training. Yeah. Um, but it's basically me as a life coach. And, and the thing that's wonderful about it is Brad has built this platform that is ideal for making somebody better. So it has world-class content, right. it has repetition, it has accountability, and it has practice. 
And most of the training that happens, and including my company, I had this conversation this morning, we do lots of training. And I said, we really don't do all four of those things to the degree that we should. Now the virtual training makes that easy to do, and it's got so many other things. I mean, there's a vault in there where you get both of my audio books, you get a bunch of sales lessons, you get a bunch of job aids on how do you get better at opening, question, closing, et cetera, in addition to all of the, uh, the video uh, uh, lessons that you get because they're me teaching uh, these lessons. The lessons are all one to five minutes because they're very short. 90% of them have a quiz at the end. Awesome. If you like them, you can put them in a favorite section. You can take notes on the software. It is sexy as it can be. And so my, my belief is if you, if you really want to get better at selling, and mine's not the only one. Damon John's got one on being an entrepreneur. Tony Robbins has got one. Gimmer's got one. It doesn't matter. I mean, just if you want to get better at selling, there's no reason because for the amount of money you spend at Starbucks this year, you could spend on making yourself a seven-figure income as a salesperson. And it's, it's continuous learning, like you say. Yes. You never stop learning, particularly in a digital age where things change you know, uh -huh. all the time. So if you're not all on top of it, you're, you're out. Like the companies that are gone, the sports authorities, the blockbusters, you know, we in sales can become a, a dinosaur very quickly. Yeah, Drucker, Drucker used to say, you have to reaffirm your expertise over and over and over again, or you become obsolete. And that's a huge word. It's expertise. I yes. hear people talking about experience, but experience might not work. What, what, what you did 20 years ago no. might not work. It's the expertise, how you go about your business in, in the modern day. Right. Critical. So I think we're running out of time. I want to stay on with you. I'm going to stop the recording for the podcast. Sure. Many, many thanks for coming on. This was tremendous. It's our biggest episode, I'm sure, and I've been a big fan of yours and really appreciate well, you coming on. Well, thank you, and I'll come back anytime you want me to. Awesome. So for now, I'm going to stop us, but we'll stay online, and this is right. Dean signing off for Sales is King. Hang on, Jerry.